Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Podcan episode 20. This week, we're joined by Moyen. Moyen has been on the channel a few times uh, for deck techs. We did a Steel Amber deck tech. We did a Ruby Amethyst deck tech, as well as Ruby Amethyst Evasives. Moyen is one of the best players in Lorcana right now, currently ranked Grandmaster on Pixelborn. Um, so, Moyen, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, welcome you, and to set a foundation for some of the people listening that might not know you, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself and just give us your origin story. Um, I've competed for a long time in Hearthstone and turned my head to other card games since. And I'm completely, I've never lost my passion and love for card games. And now I'm experiencing, uh, experiencing a lot of different card games mm -hmm. this year. Yeah, you're playing a lot of One Piece right now as well, right? So Marvel Snap, One Piece, Lorcana. Are those all the games that, that are sort of on your plate right now? Oh, yeah, also Flesh and Blood, by the way. Yeah, Flesh <laughs> and Blood now as well. So it's a lot of different games, and I'm enjoying every single one of them. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, so this this week we're going to be talking about the constructed format, some updates in the constructed format, updates to the Ruby Amethyst list, as well as some archetypes we see emerging. Um, you know, specifically in Steel Amber, we see the Steel Song mid range becoming a lot more popular, as well as Aggro Deck sort of coming back into the fold. A lot of these metas in Larkana will be regional based, right? Um, because all the tournaments are regional at this point, and so are your locals. So your locals could be all aggro, could have been for the past two or three weeks, um, and or it could be all control. But what we see in the tournament data, so we talk to see those aggro decks start to come back a bit ruby amethyst still maybe at the top of the metagame but maybe being knocked down a peg because it's some of the worst matchups not it's bad matchups necessarily but the matchups that it's not as strong into are definitely starting to surge um in popularity and then of course we're going to talk about spoilers we've had some great card get spoiled um you know we had some vanilla cards i think a couple weeks ago so i decided to wait a little bit but recently, we've seen cards um, spoiled just in the case of Merlin that are opening up completely new archetypes, potentially, with the bounce archetype, you know, card draw, etc. So excited to get into that. First, though, I do have a question um, from YouTube on last week's episode. This comes from Adam Cleverly, 5501. Uh, they say, guys, thank you so much for the quality and depth of your content. Having come over from Pokemon with its established quality content creators and excellent advice and meta discussions, I found that sorely lacking Locana until now. I feel I've finally found my Locana home for keeping up with the meta. You've helped me improve as a player. Um, only after a few episodes. Once again, thank you so much. I have a question. I probably should have just read from there instead of all the nice stuff. But since Brendan, you often use the tar you often use the term good card game fundamentals with regards to decision making turn by turn and playing TCG games. Uh, generally, for those of us who are new to TCGs, can you give us an overview of general points of what you would consider to be good card game fundamentals, particularly in the context of playing Lorcana? Thanks again, guys. Can't wait for the next one. So, you know, Moyen, you, you are a guest. I don't want to put you on the spot um, necessarily because I, I know this is a hard question. But I want to give you a chance to maybe talk about some card game fundamentals that you see um, that you've maybe experienced in the past and are able to extrapolate to Lorcana that you find um, you know, this can be card game fundamentals. It's like the word for that. What does it mean for me? A lot of time it, it, it's sort of synonymous with heuristics, basically simple rules that you abide by to evaluate situations at a, at a base level. It doesn't mean they're a hundred percent correct, but they do have that sort of 80, 20, um, application, right? Where 80% of the time is probably just the correct choice. And maybe 20% of the time you'll find this niche scenario. Anyway, more any card game fundamentals that you would, uh, that advice that you could give out. So I'm pretty sure we could talk about this for hours, but we have just we have to just pick a couple couple important points and 
make some worlds out of them. Um, coming coming from Hearthstone, I would say that there are some parallels to Larkana in the in the trading or going face aspect. In Hearthstone, it would be either you trade their minion or you go face. Um, because sometimes going face, they would still not have a favorable trade, or they would still have to take that same trade that you could have taken, but you just get the extra damage in. The same thing applies in, in Orkana, but in Orkana, you don't get extra face damage in, you just get some extra quest, which is essentially the same thing, but just put differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's basically no need to trade if your opponent uh, doesn't have a likely punish for you not trading. So, so some. T- on the first level, on the board, if there's no no better trade for them just because you quested and you are the aggressor in that game, you, you might as well just trade and force them to trade. Uh, you might as well quest and force them to trade. Um, but also, you have to think about what cards could they play from hand. Maybe maybe they, there's like a Vasha coming down. Maybe it's into their turn five and there could be a Maui or something. Maybe I don't want to um, exert my card. So there's not just the punishes on board, but also the ones that their deck is capable of having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one instance of this that I see a lot happen, um, which is a, a simple mistake, and it, it, technically you can make this play while playing around another card called Rafiki, but if I if I do feel pressure to drop something like a turn two Gaston due to my hand, right, in the, in the ruby color, my opponent has landed a one drop before that, maybe a one drop stitch, Sometimes I will see them um, if my Gaston is tapped, which is not. So Gaston is actually not a good example. Basically, your opponent can sometimes trade into things that you've tapped in order to quest when they should just quest because you are inherently forced to, whether because your character has Reckless. So things like Gaston, like Maui, they literally have to attack unless another character comes down and trades or you're able to sort of tap that character or whatever. But I do see a lot of players, you know, lose that sort of one or two instance of lore in the in the entirety of a game because they chose to trade and sort of gain control board rather than quest when in the context of the game, um, the opposing player basically usually due to tempo and then being on the back foot had no had basically no choice but to but to trade with that character. Is that is that similar to what you're explaining? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm explaining. Also, another concept that you can apply to this is understanding how your deck wins and how your deck wins against what your opponent's playing because the game plan can differ easily. For example, um, if you're the aggressive deck, those two quest points are a whole lot more important than if you were the deck that just needs to outlast your opponent and then stabilize. So even even if it enables a good trade from your opponent, let's, let's, say, let's say you're an aggressive deck into control, you have a Lilo on board, your opponent has like Let's say a 5-1, it doesn't, doesn't need to have a name, a 5-1 that can quest and a 2-2 that can quest for, let's say, 2-2 two, two lore. It might still be better to quest with your Lilo, or, or very often is, uh, instead of trading into their 5-1, even if it gives them that value trade, because that's how important the two quest points are if you are, on the, if you are the aggressor in that matchup. Mm-hmm. So understanding your role in the matchup and sort of the role that your cards play. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... I think uh, just to iterate on that point, uh, you've spoken about this already, Brendan, but very much like Moyne said as well, knowing your matchup, right? Say, for example, you're facing the uh, Steel Amber deck. And like we said, the the most common card, the most common situation that I think you always have to be aware of is the Rapunzel, right? It's like, okay, if I quest with my card or if I exert my card, they can uh, hit into it, they can heal, they can get value from the Rapunzel, right? So it's basically just knowing your matchups really well and always considering, okay, what card 
like do I lose against here? What card is like so valuable for them in the situation? And then to try your best to play around that, right? It's like if you think your opponent is playing Ruby or if they're if your opponent's playing Ruby Amethyst and you think they have a be prepared, maybe don't make your board so wide. Don't make them uh you don't want to make them get value out of their card for that, right? So it's basically just those situations and like you guys said, trading uh you know efficiently. Mulligan is so important in Lorcana as we've discussed already, right? Like uh Obviously depends on the type of deck, but for example, for the Ruby Amethyst matchup, you basically just want to mulligan your uninkables, so you can have ink to get to that uh, seven ink. So yeah, that's that's basically what I would say for for card game fundamentals as well. Yeah, yeah the amber the amber example is particularly interesting because that's where you sort of so my number one fundamental, uh, like zooming all the way out and then sort of tr uh, goes across m many many card games, is the idea of two for oneing or x for oneing your opponent, basically getting multi card value or just any sort of higher than uh neutral quantitative value out of your card at any instance it's not always the correct decision but it will it's like if you make more of those decisions than your opponent over the course of the game you should win more of the games rather than not just getting value out of your card so one example i use in arcana of a mistake that i've seen people make is people played against Ruby Amethyst or that maybe you're playing against Steel, right? And you're like, oh, Tinkerbell's really bad for my deck because if I quest with anything, they can trade and then they trigger and they hit it. And I've seen, and they know this, like, that's the card that I lose to. So I've seen players do smash or like grab your swords, grab your swords, uh, fire the cannons on Tinker. And they're like, okay, I cleared the threat. It's like, yeah, you might have cleared the threat, but you also just three for one yourself, which is probably going to lose you the game in the, in the long term. And that's where there's sort of these, um, these niche scenarios do exist where there's a possibility that it is the right play in the right context. But I would say in the vast, vast, vast majority of scenarios, making plays like that, like ultra low value plays will lose you more games than it would win. I think it's important to evaluate a card based off its value rather than the context of the game first. So understand the value. How can I get more value out of this card than my opponent via like a two for one, um, et cetera. And then add context. I think where people make a lot of mistakes in card games is they add context first, where they look at the they look at the board, they think about the card they lose to, like I need to get rid of this, and then they don't consider you know potentially taking a low value trade, um, which also ties into the thing where you could quest and your opponent would have to trade into you, and you don't actually need to make that trade until the five one, etc. Um, in regards to Amber, and this is why it's interesting, is I think that Amber and playing around things like Rapunzel does sort of break that tenant a bit because you think about how do I play the highest value possible? How do I play my highest value cards? Well, it's like if I have a card sitting on board and it quests for two, my opponent might have their Rapunzel. Well, to get value, I sh should I be playing around that? It's like probably not because if you're just taking a massive opportunity cost if they don't have it, um, which might end up losing you the game. But if you're in a matchup and you're playing something like Ruby Amethyst into these like super mid-range Amber decks, not the aggro Amber decks, but these like super mid-range Amber decks, you might ask, say to yourself, I am so favored in this matchup that I can play inefficiently around Rapunzel, around draw engines, and I will still win this game. The only way I lose this game is if my opponent draws cards. So that's where you can take sort of these atypical game plans and play around things um, like Rapunzel. In regards to Mulligan's Moyen, how do you mulligan for the Ruby Amethyst matchup specifically? Because I know I think this is an issue uh, a lot of players face, and they 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 play the deck. I know a lot of people look at the deck list and they'll go twenty uninkables. What the heck? You can't <laughs> like I would never. And then but then they mulligan incorrectly. And I think a lot the biggest trap a lot of people get into is they get greedy, right? Mm -hmm. They see cards that they would want on uh, 
let's I mean, worst case scenario like you you're like oh i love elsa <laughs> you see like a turn eight elsa and you keep that like how do you mulligan the ruby amethyst deck correctly with 20 uninkables um so so uh, basically your deck building gives you the context you need for mulliganing so there's still it's not like there's no cost to playing all of these uninkables but there's also a high reward but the cost of playing these uninkables doesn't mean you will whiff a lot of games and suddenly not draw um enough ink i think the the actual cost is much more oh because i play 20 uninkables i actually need to keep inkable cards that i don't want in my starting hand like i i would keep a maleficent just because it's ink sometimes um so basically you need to mulligan differently to account for your deck having less um less inkables which means you nerf your own mulligan but increase uh, the quality of cards in your deck a lot in the case of the Ruby Amethyst deck. Mm-hmm. Um, but so what you talked about before, kind of um, started a new concept as well that I think might be one of the most important ones from, from my experience in card games, which is not just playing your strongest turn each turn, which might get, get you so far, but also seeing um, the bigger picture and um, identifying what spot are you in, how could this game go forward on if I do this, how could this game do forward go forward if I do this. And for that, you need to evaluate. And so this, this can get very, very complicated, but I think it's easy to understand on a basic level is that you need to identify um, how likely are you to win the game from here? How likely um, are you... To, to win the game if you take this risk and it pays off? How likely are you to, to win if you take this risk and it doesn't pay off? So um, you, you, talked about, um, you talked about this a little bit. I think an easy way to explain this is if you, are, if you think you are winning the game currently, um, the first question you should ask yourself is, how do I lose from here? And can, how much um, can I afford playing around that? So basically, if the answer is, how do I lose uh, to how do I lose from here is if I give them a three draw Rapunzel, then you have to ask yourself, okay, what's my best play that doesn't give them a Rapunzel? And how much um, less likely am I to win against a non Rapunzel hand just because I am now playing around this Rapunzel? And the opposite of this is also true, where if you are behind in the game, if you are not that likely to win, you need to ask yourself, oh, how do I actually win from here? Because you could still do the best play, just the, the strongest looking play each turn but it doesn't ever give you a chance to actually win the game in the end. Maybe um, how, how, you, how do you win the game from here involves, okay, I actually need to play my draw two card and it needs to hit exactly this. And if, if I don't, I lose. But if I hit it, I actually have a chance to win the game instead of just making the play that lets you survive another turn and then you inevitably lose just two turns later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, um, I think part of what you said there, and uh, this is one of my points, was understanding uh, your deck's game plan and how it wins. So one thing I see a lot of my opponents make mis- uh, make mistakes potentially in deck building is I will see them play like a ruby-oriented aggressive deck. Um, and these are definitely lower on the end in terms of like meta decks, but just decks in general, they'll maybe like add something like be prepared into the deck. And then, you know, if they don't draw it in the matchup against me, I've had them, you know, complain to me, but I don't think that that's the deck 
core that's the next core game plan. So I try to explain is that as a Ruby Amethyst, like playing the Ruby Amethyst deck, the the control deck, the premier control deck, one tenet that I always keep in my mind is that Ruby Amethyst has better card quality than any other deck in the game after seven ink. So as long as I survive the early game and get the seven ink, even if I'm down, if I, I'm even remotely close to parity on board, parity on cards in hand, my top decks, one for one, should be better than my opponents. My opponents will not outvalue me on 8-drop Elsas, 7-drop Ursulas, Maleficence, etc. So <laughs> my whole entire game plan with that deck is like, survive this early game, or force my opponent to a situation where they need to trade with me to stop me from questing. That's what the evasives doing. And evasives, even if evasives are questing aggressively, that's part of surviving, forcing your opponent to trade or use removal inefficiently. And then I know if I get past 7 ink, I have the best cards coming off the top of my deck. These are the best quality cards in the game. Um, that's sort of part of my core game plan as Ruby Amethyst. Do you, uh, does that, does that sort of, does that resonate with you all? Do you all agree with that? Um, yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then yep. the last point I had here, which Moyne talked about, and this is just how I would encapsulate that point, is play to your outs. Um, Moyne explained exactly sort of how to play your outs. I think one thing you alluded to, Moyne, as well, which is important, is in, in Lorcana, your role can change a lot. Your macro role might be the control deck. You might be survive, get to turn seven, but your role in the actual matchup turn to turn can switch a lot. And if you watch the deck text, Moyne and I do, and we play gate, we do gameplay on there, you will see as the control deck when we switch our role from the defensive deck to the aggressor deck. Because being an aggressor is sort of, it's kind of that like the best offense or the best defense is a good offense, right? Where, you know, we yeah. might land a couple Ursulas or an Elsa on turn eight and realize like, our opponent might be on 11 lore, but they have no board now. And if we start questing, we're putting them on a clock. And that's really important because the faster the clock is, you know, the less chance they have to top deck a Kuzco or something like that. So understanding that your roles can shift quite often in a game of Lorcana is really important. And then the last one I had is play to your outs. I see this happen a lot. Um, and this is probably because, you know, a lot of this happens because people get complacent or low stake tournaments, but um, I would always play to to win the game and try to play to the, the outs, even if they are very unlikely. Some players will concede. Some players will, um, you know, instead of doing this, they'll concede. And instead of doing this, they'll, they'll take the play that just loses the game. But it's like, you know, maybe it's that play that got them to 19 lore. So they're like, okay, just get to 19. And it's like, okay, I lose. But I think you should always be playing your outs. For, for example... I mean, I was in a mirror, it was like a mirror or something the other day and I needed, or I was against blue green. I needed be prepared and I could take some favorable trades on board. It's just, I was very, very unlikely to win the game because my opponent was going to quest up to like 17 or something. So I had two mirrors and I basically, I just used, I had an Ursula on board. Just go draw mirror, draw mirror. I drew friends on the other side, cast friends on the other side and then, and then get a Maleficent, the, the three drop Maleficent. Drop the Maleficent. I was at a high amount of ink at this point. We're pretty late into the game. And then draw the Be Prepared, saying the Be Prepared with Ursula. Like, when I started that turn, I knew that I had to get Be Prepared. I knew I wanted Be Prepared, and I would have preferred to cast it. But to get it four or five cards deep was so unlikely, right? Because <laughs> I have the two card draw, but I just knew that my only out was getting to that card. And you just you just play through it. You just play through to that out, even if it is unlikely. I think you'll find yourself winning more games than you would if you do take the sort of the I don't know. It's a weird thing in card games where people will sometimes just take the line that loses because it gets close. It's like, mm, that was my play. And it's like, well, we could have gone deeper than that. Um, yeah, go ahead. Also, um, people sometimes it's very easy to fall into autopiloting. And what I mean by that is like, sometimes a trade is like technically on a fundamental level is a favorable trade for you. Technically, 
your 2-2 that quests for one gets a trade into, let's say, a 4-2 that could quest for two or three. And that's that's a good trade and you just take it. But you still need to think about, like, how, how does that affect um, the clock, as I like to say sometimes. Because so, sometimes you questing for this one might give you one, might get you like one turn closer to actually threatening 20 quests. And their two quests might not make a difference in their clock. So this clock is not. It's not static, it's not just a board, it's also depending on your opponents and your upcoming turns, but I think that's an important thing to, to think about. And also, when you talked about um, how your deck has a role, but in the actual game that role can easily change, I think that's a very important thing about the Ruby Amethyst deck, for example, where that deck is actually very, very good at turning, uh, at like switching its role in a heartbeat. And then suddenly you have some evasives on the board. You got a two-for-one trade with Omari. Suddenly you are threatening them. And then while the game has, while the deck has a lot of value, the, the situation that I think comes up a lot is where you have to be prepared in hand, but your hand isn't all that much value. Your opponent has a white board, and you might think, oh, I need to clear this. But you actually have, you have developed some threats on your own. And a, a play that is often better than just taking the first be prepared that looks good is when you can identify, oh, actually, if I don't play Be Prepared, if I just, um, let's say, play Magic Mirror, draw a card, or even even just pass the turn and quest with all my characters, my opponent isn't actually allowed to just quest with their characters because I'm already threatening more quests than them. And then you can just quest with all your characters. Your opponent's forced to take some trades, and there's not a lot of counterplay to Be Prepared, as in, what are they going to do in that turn? They could just take the trades and then not play anything, you're like, okay, fine, maybe I don't even need to play B-Prepared. Or most plays in this game are just developing more board and then they're just playing into the B-Prepared even more. So that's how you can take uh, get a lot more value out of your B-Prepared mm -hmm. um, by temporarily being the aggressor. Be the B-Prepared dance in the Ruby Amethyst Evasive True Mirror is really interesting because... Um, both players want to get as much value out of the be prepared as possible, but being the aggressor in that matchup is makes you heavily, heavily favored, whether you're landing evasives early or you're just the person that gets up to like 15 first because then you start every card you put down basically threatens lethal. And there's like this little dance that goes on where both players might have one threat or two threat on the board. And they have a choice to either be prepared that threat or they can play something like an Elsa, tap it down, and now they threaten a huge tempo swing if the opponent doesn't have the be prepared. And then the opponent can Elsa them back and now is threatening the same thing because whoever gets off that Elsa first, right? I don't know if the opponent has one or two Elsas or you have one or two Elsas. Whoever doesn't have it first, the opponent gets to quest for something like nine, then just cast be prepared, which is just which is disgusting. There's this little dance that goes on. Um, but as you play an Elsa to the board, you, you increase your exposure to be prepared right so you may tap the things down you may be ready to go for nine but your opponent might just cast a be prepared and it's like where is the value trade what's the crash because there's this there's this fine balance that's going on there where you're you're balancing two game, card game fundamentals one is um how do i get the most value out of my card which is be prepared and then the two the second is how do i maintain tempo and put my opponent on the back foot and quest to these sort of critical lore values whether that's 15 17 etc how do i maintain that role in the matchup and it's such an interesting situation <laughs> particularly also when you have the opportunity cost of drawing or not drawing off mirror um anyway that was sort of what i had for card game fundamentals like like morgan said you could talk for hours there's a lot but those are a few that I think they will get you a long way if you sort of keep them in the mind while playing. Um, Colin Moyne, I just want to give you a chance if you had any others that came to mind to sort of uh, 
to to speak on them now or forever hold your peace uh for me i think we covered most of them like like you said yeah we could probably keep talking about this for a while but uh yeah i think everything we discussed there is probably the the biggest takeaways that people should um should try and unlearn and apply to when they're when they're playing lorcana for sure what about you moyen um i think we've, we've went through the most important concepts um um i think if you apply these concepts to your own game you have a, a very strong base to work off mm-hmm. for sure Awesome. All right, well, let's dive into the constructive format. For those listening on audio platforms or on YouTube, I will leave all deck lists and links to tournaments that we have referenced or I will be referencing in this podcast in the description below, so check those out. Um, first thing I want to talk about is Ruby Amethyst, the rise of Ruby Amethyst. Um, this is more of a last, that last week thing, and I think it's Ruby Amethyst is more maintaining its spot on the podium since then. But we saw Ruby Amethyst come back into the meta. You know, it was one of the first... <clears throat> Really popular decks in the game. Then Amber Steel became very popular. Some Agrax started to get more popular, but then Ruby Amethyst sort of came back. There's a list that Moy and I did a gameplay video on. You can check that out, which is Ruby Amethyst Evasives. And the whole concept of that deck, and then we talked about it on previous podcasts, was basically take the control deck, um, the hyper control list, cut it down to 60 cards, take out all of this infinite loop nonsense. I will call it nonsense. I, I don't think it's necessary. And then put in. I don't yeah, put in an aggressive package uh, that in the mirror should make us very favored because basically it runs 10 evasive characters and it asks the opponent the question for their, it taxes their removal. So it really forces them out of dragon fires, forces them out of be prepared, and then ultimately leads you to a board state where you're able to land threats and they simply don't have the answers. Um and that, that can lead that can either be through stri- strictly attrition, which just means you're going into late game and your opponent literally doesn't have any dragon fires left or literally doesn't have any be prepares left, or it's tempo based, right? Where your opponent is maybe dragon firing a four drop pongo or a goofy, and that is a neutral to down trade for them. And then the next one they just they don't have the dragon fire because maybe it is the fortieth or the fiftieth card in their deck and they haven't found it quite yet. Um, this deck is also inherently better against aggressive decks because although it plays understated characters in the form of pongo goofy it does play to board that is just part of the game plan is it plays to board so even if you are playing an understated character you can still take trades on one drops or just sort of anything that an aggressive deck might be playing against you that being said i think ruby amethyst as an archetype or at least as a control archetype which is pretty much the only archetype at this point does have a bit of a weakness against Agra. I don't know if it's necessarily unfavored, but feels a bit play draw, and we can talk about that. Uh, boys, want to get your thoughts on the Ruby Amethyst evasive list now that you've had a chance to uh, play with it, and how you think it will. How do how you think it will sort of last in the current meta? Because we, we we are seeing some de- developments week to week. How do you feel about the list right now and moving forward until set two? Um, so I think it's a big upgrade to the list that tries to go infinite, not just because it actually works. Pretty pretty well in the mirror itself, but I think the bigger upside is is that you are playing better quality cards for other matchups. I think the evasives do a better job than let's say Boom, Befuddle, Mickey was doing before. Um, I I'm I don't actually mind the aggro matchups. I think ultra aggro can be a little annoying. It can be very hard to beat if they are on the play. Other than that, I think all the other aggro decks I wouldn't mind queuing into myself. Mm-hmm. Um, even even the, the Emerald decks, I I think yes, they can cause issues, but it's I don't I don't struggle in that matchup. Like it's it's not like 
oh no, I'm I'm facing a green aggro deck now. I, I, I how do I even win this? I think it's a very fine matchup. Yeah. So anecdotally, and this is an anecdote. Um. So in in paper, best of three over the course of I think. I think it was 27 games total over the course of three to four weeks. The only matchups that I lost with Ruby Amethyst, um, and one of it was on the, the older version of the list, but then everything else was on evasives, was to a particular color combination, and that was Emerald Sapphire. So the reason why that that deck is annoying, uh, I mean, it's tough to beat, is because Kuzco obviously just stapled of Emerald, but then they also have access to a little card called Eye of the Fates, <laughs> which is not great for control sometimes. And also Donald Duck, which is basically another Cusco as a five drop that has Ward. Ward is just tough for this deck to deal with. Um, so not only is it an aggro deck that gets onto the board early and you need to be keeping Gaston's, you know, obviously for Cusco's and stuff, but also you need to be trading onto the board for Fiki's. It's, it has this inherent Ward that every time a Ward character comes down, um, as a Ruby Amethyst player, you basically have to answer with Be Prepared, or it's going to quest for the amount that is at the bottom right. And if you count up all those quest numbers on the ward characters, well, if they have Donald Duck and Cusco, it's 20. <laughs> so that, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of questions for the Ruby, Amethyst, that's, uh, the Ruby Amethyst deck to answer. That being said, I do think it is very play draw. Um, I kind of hate talking about play draw sometimes on the on the podcast because I think a lot of players default to it as sort of a crutch for a reason why they may have won or lost a game. But as the Ruby Amethyst deck, I will <laughs> I would allow some credence to play draw because getting to the Dragonfire on turn five before your opponent getting to the Be Prepared a turn earlier, it's really, really important because it, it's the difference between sometimes like uh, three, five lore. Like it is a big big difference doesn't mean those games are unwinnable but my worst matchups by far have not been the aggro decks um per se like the aggro play to board decks but these sort of ward based decks there's also another deck called wheel steel it's an amber steel deck which is funny because amber steel is probably one of ruby amethyst's uh, easiest matchups uh, if they're playing mid-range which was a very popular list for a long time but the wheel steel which is basically amber steel but with uh, the Captain Hook, which you can shift, and sh uh, Stitch, which you can shift onto the one-drop Stitch that tries to play um, Whole New World by turn three and sort of like turbos out characters. That deck on the draw, so if you're not on the play, it can be very hard because they can basically dump their hand onto board and it, in your only way to clear a huge board, which they can sort of get with Stitch, they shift the Stitch on with... Not Wheel of Fortune, sorry, it's the magic card. Uh, whole new world, and then play out all the one drops. Basically, don't have time to get to be prepared. So it's it's a very very popular deck list. I don't know if you faced it yet, Moyen, but it's it's been doing very very well in um in tournaments. Sort of the premier aggro deck right now. Oh yeah, I played it in my locals last week, last Saturday, and uh, I think it was uh, I think I won the first one, they won the second one, and I think I just pulled out the. The final game but yeah the, the captain hook took me by surprise because it's actually the first time i had someone play it against me i was like wait what does that card do <laughs> and i saw like i had like my gaston and like rafiq's like oh oh no this is kind of rough and then i realized oh shit they're gonna start like singing really really early right and uh yeah that one game it's pretty much what they did right they did a whole new world super early they did their stitch rockstar shift and the deck can get pretty out of control pretty fast so uh i mean i i think it's still great though that like it's it's interesting because obviously you're just asking Moyen, like, how do you feel that the Ruby Amethyst Evasive deck is going to kind of, like, evolve over time? Will it kind of stick? Or will it, uh, you know, cards change? Which, of, of course, cards will change. But uh, I think it's nice to see that we're in a meta currently where the color combinations are still 
there, but the deck is always slightly changing to do different things, right? I, I feel like wheel steel, as, as you're calling the deck, like that's a super interesting take on the traditional mid-range, uh, like compared to the mid-range deck. It's a really interesting game plan to do because it's the more it's more like an aggressive deck, but then it can also do things that the previous list, list didn't do before, right? So um, as much as, like, you know, if I'm playing a game and I'm getting absolutely like whooped by it, I'm still excited to see these to see these new decks, right? And they're like, oh, I might try out this card uh, after. So yeah, it's cool. So so basically, I faced a, a lot of Ember Steel decks when I when I played um, a lot of of the control deck, and they they weren't exactly like this. But I, I did also face uh, low to the ground stitch versions, and mm. I think that matchup's harder, but but still still fine. Mm-hmm. It's not like this suddenly kills uh, Ruby Amethyst, but I, I would say this is. Not just better against Ruby Amethyst, I would say this Real Steel version looks like a better deck in general. If I if I think about the matchup spread, I think Aladdin is a really good card in that deck. I, I think um, cheap cards that can quest for two in mm-hmm. that deck that are also inkable is just is just very strong. It's just you need to um, ask different questions depending on the situation. I think this this deck's very good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm not sure how how good and important the Captain Hook idea is. So it's just I, increasing your fan of it. Yeah. So the whole idea of Captain Hook, um, I'm sure that it matters that it has Challenger and it matters that it, it mm. um, that you can't attack it with things that cost three or less. It's but, mainly for the the five cost, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's to sing. So they shift it onto the other hook. So they just want to be singing by turn three. So they dump their hand. They sing by turn three, which is kind of annoying as control because like control. You've basically just inked three cards and drawn three cards, and you have a lot of cards in hand, and they get seven new cards, which that that's a big value. I would say one thing about this deck is this deck can definitely not draw. Like there is a sequence mm-hmm. of cards that it can draw where it's like holy shit. But other than that, it's pretty reasonable for Ruby Amethyst. Um, definitely harder than the old list. The old list were probably the easiest list to beat in the game, um, in my opinion, for Ruby Amethyst. But this list, uh, it's much it's much more of a game. They can do a lot more degenerate stuff, right? I mean, drawing seven cards when you're you drawing seven cards, your opponent drawing zero cards effectively because they trade out their whole hand, or drawing two cards because they discarded five. That's a degenerate thing to do. Drawing a million cards of Stitch, uh, Rockstar, that's very degenerate too. So I like this deck a lot because I feel like the person who created this deck, or the you know the hive mind that did, looked at it was like, what is the most broken things Amber Steel could do? Because Amber Steel before this was just like. They were just doing like normal mid rangey like fair stuff, and it was just, uh, it was kind of meh, you know. Especially in the context of some of the unfair things Ruby Amethyst was doing, some of the unfair things the Just in Time decks were doing, um, etc. So I feel like this deck is much more attuned to what this the realization of Amber Steel should be, which is like there are a few broken cards in these colors. How do we play them? And this, yeah, this deck is pretty good. There's a few broken cards that. Ember Steel used to utilize Ember Steel versions that I think this version doesn't utilize anymore mm-hmm. because it has some anti-synergy. But there's also some other cards that maybe you could instead build around and also have a very strong deck. So there's the You Have Forgotten Me that could snack some games against con- con- Control. Mm-hmm. And also, I think st- Surfer Stitch. Mm-hmm. I-, I still think is a really good card, even if you want to go low to the ground. I-, I don't think it hurts at all to have Surfer Stitch in your deck. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that there might, 
be a version, even the most popular version. I know we're taking this version from uh, the Beyond the Inkwell video, uh, which snagged from a tournament. There might, I'm pretty sure there are versions that do run the top end stitch as well, uh, because mm-hmm. it is inkable and also obviously it can draw two. And you having two characters on board is not a huge ask with this deck. Um, so there might be versions that run that as well. But yeah, you have forgotten me. Probably more anti synergy than synergy, and just a very very good card in Amber. Um, and <laughs> it's funny paradox. Like you would think as a control deck that you have forgotten me wouldn't be like a huge issue because the control decks draw cards where most of the cards don't or most of the decks don't but you have forgotten me um you know coming down on the right turn whether it's turn four or turn five can sometimes snag two very very important cards like the be prepared you're holding back or the sort of the top end card um and then steel also doubles this blowing up your items which just prevents you from from drawing cards so yeah you have forgotten me very very good card <laughs> against control for sure i want to ask you some specifics about the ruby amethyst evasive list Moyen, and just get your thoughts on some cards that could maybe go into that deck um actually i'll ask you a fun uh, a more high level question do you think there could be any changes that would there be any change you'd make to the deck um in the context of a meta that would be more dominated by aggressive decks is there cards you could add into that deck to give you better equity into those aggressive matchups without losing massive edge against you know the mirror or other matchups um Yes, so I think that the deck, while um, a lot of the cards you always want to play, I, th- I think it's still quite flexible and can adjust to the meta. And if there's a lot of aggro decks, I think the first thing you do, which is like, which is saying, um, what do I do first, as in, okay, how do I improve my deck against aggro without hurting the other matchups too much? And then if there's an insane amount of aggro, maybe you'd even go a step further and add some cards that are actually kind of bad in other matchups. So I think the first thing you do is you play for Gaston, for Rafiki, if there's a lot of aggro. I think this, the second thing you do is um, what type of aggro decks um, am I running into? Are they um, hyper-aggressive in terms of playing cards like Lilo? And then you decide how many um, one-cost two-twos do you play? It doesn't... It, so for, it doesn't have to be four just because you can play four of in a card. There's, there's eight options, right, for one cost two twos. So how many of those do you play? Maybe I play three, maybe I play four, maybe I play five. And then after that, I would only take further steps if there's like, if the meta is heavily, heavily dominated by aggro. And then maybe you can start to consider, do I play, um, how do you pronounce this? Zeus? Zeus? Yeah, yeah Zeus. 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 Yeah, so do I, do I play Zeus as an extra washer between Rafiki and, and Maui? That is, on most levels, just worse on their stat line uh, in comparison to Rafiki and Maui, but it's just an extra washer. Plus, it has a little bit of upside of not enabling Rapunzel against Amber. Um, and then do you want to take more steps on that? But I think the Zeus is already kind of questionable, and I doubt I would take more steps than that ever. Yeah. That, that's really my biggest question when it comes to the deck, because I think that ugh, it can often be a fallacy or just very results oriented or, or just results biased or recency bias. That's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Recency bias. So if you go into a metagame, whether it's a tournament, your locals, Pixelborn, and you start facing a bunch of aggro decks and you start losing where you don't usually lose with this deck because you you know, maybe you think, or what I believe is that Ruby Anthos is the best deck and you win a lot of your matches, but then you start facing these hyper aggro decks and you're like, oh wow, my deck really needs an answer to aggro. It needs an answer to wheel steel on the nut draw. That can sometimes be a fallacy because um, 
it's it's like the situation. The best way to describe the situation is in regards to the mirror. And I'm sorry to take you guys on this roller coaster and end up just at the mirror. But these, I face so many players that are so reluctant to give up their brooms, to give up their mickeys, to give up their infinite loop. And I tell them that I've never gone to the, I've never gone to fatigue. Never. Maybe it happens in the true beer. But I said even if, even if it was five percent, ten percent. I mean, ten percent might be a little much. But you don't want to put five bad cards or six bad cards in your deck for this 5% outcome in one of your matchups. It's like all of those cards are legitimately bad in every single other matchup, and they're bad in this matchup. So you just take the 5% clip that you lose to fatigue, and it might feel really bad, but you immediately ask yourself the questions like, do I need a package to answer, answer this? Do I need an infinite package? It's like, probably not, because the infinite package doesn't win you games. It just stops you from losing games. If that loss of games is a very, very small minority of your games, I think that you immediately adjusting your deck to try to try to answer a question like that is can be a trap. Boy. I, I forgot I forgot one card um, when I was talking about what can you do to improve aggro matchups. I actually think um, a card that I didn't like at first but has grown on me now that aggro has become more popular is the three cost answer. Because how the matchups against aggro go a lot is that um, they go ahead and quest, and at some point you are able to stabilize, but you don't actually stabilize if they just get a little bit of chip damage in, as I call it, where they play a character and you can stop it from just questing once. And Elsa is very good at improving you stabilizing. Mm. So where they can't just play any threat and it quests quest for two or three, where after you stabilize, you can actually just have an Elsa on board and any threat they play, you don't need to answer with Dragonfire... You have a lot of answers, but you don't need an answer um, to make it not quest, where you just have the Elsa on board and it stops them in their track. Mm, I think you're onto something. I would also ask the same question. So I think a lot of people, when when presented with the issue of like, how do I win against more aggro decks when I'm on the draw, or just, just in general, they look towards um, three-drop Aladdin uh, because they want to be able to shift that Aladdin. Well, first of all, three-drop Aladdin makes them lose the lore, so there's a bit of an advantage there. Um, or that's a plus. And then they want to shift that Aladdin and present this Aladdin that basically stops their opponent from questing if they're not at a critical sort of maximum of of uh, of quest points, right? Because any quest I do threatens, you know, minus two, and then my Aladdin stays on the board. One thing I'll say about that card, small Aladdin, and it could be the correct card because I've been thinking about it, um, uh, is that that card is so dead. <laughs> so many That card is so freaking bad in so many matchups. Like, it... People who play the the small drop Aladdin in the mirror, like I think that you have to. It's fine as an inkable card, maybe if you run two of them, but outside of that, it just has no utility. Where the Elsa, the three drop Elsa, that card has legitimate utility in the mirror. It has a legitimate utility in a lot of matchups. So I want to re ask you the question more. Which is, do you, do you think that the answer to aggro, if you had to over tech for it, if you had to find some new card that isn't already in the list, is it mm-hmm. the the little Elsa or is it the little Aladdin? Oh, I think it's it's little Elsa for sure. I hate Aladdin. Aladdin asks you to get two for one. <laughs> like, I, actually, I don't even know if it asks you to get two for one. It's like, it just, it's kind of like you play the card and then you have a 2-2 on the board. And then it you spend three three ink on that and it doesn't do anything. Like, um, so there, there is the Aladdin. You can shift, but like, it's even when you get that off, Aqua decks aren't just, um, they don't immediately lose because of that setback. Actually, if you spend 
Um, so even that's the best case scenario for the, for the shift little Aladdin, right? Mm -hmm. Where you play it and then maybe on five you can shift big Aladdin onto it, get a trade. But even then you've spent two cards on a five five that that maybe it got a value trade and it stopped them a little bit. But even then it might actually mean that the aggro chance even has a uh, a chance of like not outvaluing you in the like long long game, but over the midterm. They, they're, they're actually getting some card advantage out of that that you have to recover from. Mm -hmm. I, I think the smaller Aladdin yeah. is a terrible card. And you're fine. You know how many times... Go ahead. I was going to say, do you, do you know how many times as well that uh, I've seen people just play small Aladdin when I have, like, quested for nothing as well? When they... when Like, because obviously, right, it's like, that's what that's another reason why the card is, like... That's probably why a lot of people are, are playing. It's like, oh, I get them down by one lower. But the amount of times when I haven't even quested yet and it comes down, I'm like, well, that's... And then, and then, like, like you said, right? Especially in the mirror match, it's just so easy. It's so easy because as soon as, oh yeah, 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 it's it's so easy to just get two for one. And uh, e even in matchups like, uh, what was one of the decks we talked about last week, Brendan? The uh, the Amber Sapphire, right? Like if if it if it gets shifted up upon and say you're you're playing against Ramp and they just Hades it, it's the same situation, right? You know well, what I mean? Although for Hades it's different because then you get two ink back. So yeah. so I would uh, say still, yeah. it's bad on like a multitude of angles. Um, so I don't think that if you if you have Aladdin and they're at zero lore, I think you if you need to play the board or something like that, you still have to play it on three. You can't like wait and mm. play it inefficiently. Um, mm. But you probably just ink the card at that point. But this card is so bad in the mirror for multiple reasons. If you shift it and you get two for ones, well, ha good for you. You just lost that game uh, to a dragon fire. Uh, all actually, it's bad on three th three axis. <laughs> so that's one reason it's bad is because turn five it just gets dragon fire if you shift it. So you wouldn't shift it in the mirror. But if you did, your five drop. So when you'd be playing this Aladdin, when you'd be shifting this Aladdin, have your big swing play. You know what other cards five drop? Maui. Maui is yeah, like Maui. one of your most important cards versus versus control. So instantly comes to the board. Yeah, yes. instantly can attack as well. Yeah. And then reason number three. If you play a small Aladdin to the board in the mirror, no player that is good is going to get surprised by a shift Aladdin. And what they will also do is they will play their own Aladdin and then they will Elsa your little Aladdin and then trade off of it, maybe untap with shield and then trade again. And like, that's like, ugh, you just your characters that exist on the board in the in the mirror match as you get to higher ink levels even if as you get to seven or eight if they play the if they play the aladdin on eight they play the elsa those characters can be freaking liabilities <laughs> like it is sometimes not good to have little tutu weenies on the board um uh, that aren't doing disgusting things like drawing cards so yeah just something so if, if i want if i want my opponent to lose one quest then i also want to draw a card threaten three three quests and have a two eight on the board yeah that's all I want. <laughs> oh, all right. So another card in the Ruby Amethyst evasive deck. So we published our evasive list recently. Uh, basically runs four Ponga, four Tigger, two Jetsum. The idea of the, the Jetsum, by the way, because everybody's like, why is the Jetsum in there? Because <laughs> it's like just kind of a shit card. The Jetsum was in there because Moyne and I, uh, I don't know if it was because of Moyne and I, basically around the time that we posted, pu published our first video of Ruby Amethyst, we had four Pongo and that was like our big tech. And then it was super standard for every it wasn't super safe, but most control decks I ran into had four Pongo. I don't know if it was because of us or not, but because of that, I mean, Jetsum is like a big middle finger to Pongo. If your opponent is literally just running Pongo and you have a Jetsum, it's just like, it's terrible for them. You just two for one their Pongo. They have to Dragonfire your Jetsum. It's, it's really bad. Um, that card could change. And a consideration for that change, I want to ask you this, Wayne, is what about Tigger? Would you play Tigger? Um, oh, so, so earlier, just, just to... Correct. I think you said we were playing for Tigger, but you, I think you meant for... Goofy, Goofy. Uh, goofy, for yeah, goofy. yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
right now, I'm not close to playing Tega. I think if you are in a heavy Ruby Amethyst meta, that's the next step you could take towards um, being better in the mirror and threatening more evasives in the mirror. But I think currently how the meta is evolving, it's more uh, developing into an aggressive direction where I don't want I don't want the next best evasive. I just want to use my other slots on cards that are actually good against aggressive decks. Mm-hmm. I have some yeah. fundamentals. Um, and I'll pass over to you, Koa, sorry. Uh, yeah. About why no Tigger. So, Pongo and Goofy. Why are these cards good in the mirror? Uh, well, they quest, they're aggressive, they make it, they increase your equity to be the aggressor, and the aggressor is favored. But also, all of your opponent's removal trades down or neutral into Goofy or Pongo. Dragonfire, that's trading a five draw or a five cost uninkable for a four cost inkable, a five cost uninkable for a five cost inkable. Now you change that to a six drop where you're spending six resources and they're spending five to remove it, or they're spending seven to clear the board, or they're spending nine to two for one on you on board. You're just giving them more value on their removal. So while it could be correct because it does blink the, go- the Goofy in, in like a very Ruby Amethyst dominated meta, um, it could be a card you would include. The value proposition on that card is much lower than Pongo or Goofy because it does the same thing um, effectively in the mirror and it just gives your opponent uh, better value on their trades. And that's why I don't like the card at face up, at sort of the initial impression. Go ahead, Gala. So, or when? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take a verse. Yeah, just, just to touch on the, the point for Tigger. Yeah, I have to agree. I think uh, obviously, like it, uh, it can hit into Goofy pretty well. And that's why I think a lot of people are considering it, right? Because Oftentimes, it's like, you know, if I play a Pongo and then they do a Goofy and then they can trade into it. Um, so it's basically, they, they really value that extra attack point on an evasive. But then, as we were comparing Jetsum to Pongo, they're both four cost cards. So for the same cost, you're getting one extra attack, but you have to pay a whole extra cost for Tigger compared to, like, okay, let's, let's, let's just say for some reason Tigger was a 4-4 four, four, but costed 5. That would be a, a much bigger consideration because, like you mentioned, right with the, with the dragon fire, it's just kind of like an even mm, value. So four four cost five, but quest for one, right? Because that, yeah, that yeah, would yeah, be yeah, the course, parallel. To yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then also, like I know we have no sixes, uh, six cost cards in the deck, I, I believe. Um, but when you get to turn six, obviously, either you see like a five or or you know four and a two, but. You you have so many three costs in the deck as well, like like your Rafikis, your Malifs and stuff. You can just do a three and a three. Like if you want, like I don't know, like in, in a lot of different card games, people talk about you know mana efficiency and stuff like that, like using all of your stuff, your resources, uh, like properly. But uh, I don't know. I think in Lorcana, it probably doesn't matter as much as other games. How do, how do you guys actually feel about that? About like mana efficiency in Lorcana? Mat- I think it matters a lot. I think it matters a lot. Oh, you think? You think it does? I think so, yep. yeah. I think so. That that concept it, it definitely existed in Hearthstone, but from Magic, right? Of so course, basically, yeah, yeah. from Magic, um, there was like a big data aggregator called Seventeen Lands, and they do a lot of data visualization, and they, yeah, they aggregate a lot of data. It's pretty recent, but like I remember the big, <laughs> like a big, and obviously people had the sentiment before. You know, big data had sort of figured this out before, but I remember a big takeaway was like, oh, if you spend your mana every turn. Like the, the players who spend more mana every turn win more games. It's like just even it like, because if you think about it, it's again, it's going back to this like value and context thing. It's like if you think about like a board state and how you beat your opponent, your game plan, like that doesn't necessarily equate to I need to play my card every single turn and curve out, etc. But 
the data does usually point back to you just like, if you just play efficiently, like turn seven, you're dropping an Ursula, turn eight, you're dropping an Elsa, turn nine, you're dropping a Maleficent. That's hard for your opponent to deal with. And uh, yeah, I think the curving out is just as important in this deck. I will say that the one caveat, I forgot to mention this in the, well, I'll just bring it up now. The biggest mistake I see my opponents make when they play Ruby Amethyst is they play out their early curve for no reason. <laughs> like they have a hand, they have a one drop, two drop, three drop, and they go, okay, play Sergeant Tibbs, play Gaston, play Maleficent. You're like, what? What? Those cards are ink. If you're in the mirror, those cards are ink. Like you can, I had an opponent, this was a couple days ago, Ruby Amethyst mirror, mulliganed, definitely very greedy, but also goes turn one on the play, play Archimedes. Okay. I answer it with Sergeant Tibbs. I have the answer. I'm not going to let him get like three. If I have a three drop, by the way, if I have Maleficent or I have Rafiki, I'm not playing that that one drop. I'm inking it. But then we get to turn four and he goes, pass, no ink. And I was like, oh, what? I was like, bro, you can't be playing the one drop out of your hand if you have three yeah, inkables. Yeah. So yeah, curving out can be a, can be a, can be a big mistake. Um, hopefully I didn't tangent too much. Moin, you, do you still have your... <laughs> No, I think I think that was an that was an important point actually, Brennan. I like I ran into that. Like that's it's even something that I kind of learned over time as well. I, I feel like the more you, you play as a deck, you'll you'll realize it, right? But like there's been many times where I was like, oh yeah, no, I've got to turn one, you know, yeah. turn turn one, turn two. It's like, oh wait, I've got so many uninkables in my hand now. I could, that that was just ink, right? So I think these are definitely things that players will learn over time as they play. But uh yeah, sorry, passing back over to you, Moyne. I don't quite remember what I was <laughs> about to say. <laughs> what do you think about the uh... Uh, playing on like ink efficiency. Do you think it's important mm. in Arcana to play uh, um, on curve efficiently? Uh, depends on the deck. Depends on context. I would say it's less important than in Hearthstone. I think in Hearthstone, um, it's like when when people improved in Hearthstone, they um, how do I, how do I say this? So basically. At the start, you just play all cards on curve, and then when they improve, they think, oh, but I need to hold this card for that situation, this card for that situation. And then when you get like really good at the game, then you actually understand how often it is still correct to play um, your cards on curve or like spend all your resources that are given to you. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think in general, Lorcana has more room for going off curve. Um, I'm trying to think why that is exactly. I think because we're like using two cards, like basically one card a turn has to be inked anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, how sure. our cards line up is um, more important to how much value we get out of them. Plus there's less of a, a snowball effect, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the snowball effect still exists if you could do like your best play each turn and maybe that's the point your opponent can't come back from that. But it's not like, oh, just because I did a, strong, a stronger min minion, a uh, stronger character on my board this turn, doesn't automatically mean that you're going to get a better value trade or something. It doesn't it doesn't snowball the same way. So I think there's more room for going off curve, but still being mm -hmm. ink efficient is very important in the game. I have a theory. Um, it's actually flipping, kind of looking at it a different way. So I think the reason why it's less important in Lorcana is in Magic, or is in Hearthstone, is because your cards double as ink. So if, you, if you're if you play on curve, like that can that can sometimes we talked about the one drop. It can be incorrect to play on curve to utilize your your ink that turn because those cards that you're utilizing to play on curve are inkable cards. Where if you look at Hearthstone, the the resource system is linear and it's progressive mm -hmm. and it's it's symmetrical for both players. In Magic, the resource cards are only the resource cards, right? Lands are lands. Where in Lorcana, your cards are both 
cards that you can play, they're threats, they're part of your deck's game plan, but they're also inkable cards. So instead of playing out you know, double Rafiki on turn, well, Rafiki's weird because it's, <laughs> it's not inkable, but like double three drop, I can just ink one of those and I can progress. I, I know I need that ink to get up to that seven ink, eight ink and play my big things. One th- last thing I want to say is that Ruby Amethyst does have a turn six. They do have a turn six play. Magic Mirror draw a card. It's just draw a card. Like you just draw a card. Like that's that's the thing is like you don't have this like six drop that you're looking for, but often you'll be looking to draw cards, you know, uh maybe cast friends on the other side, etc. And uh yeah. Alright. The last thing I had on here was just kind of well, not the last thing, but the last deck was blue green. Um blue green is good against Ruby Amethyst, I think. It's also played draw as well, so I gotta wait for these things to sort of percolate a little bit more if I understand like how critical it is for some of these decks to be play draw, or if they're just fundamentally favored. This deck, because of how it accesses Ward and Eye of the Fates, like Eye of the Fates is a bitch if it gets dropped on turn two, I'm not going to lie. It's bad. Um, is pretty good versus Ruby Amethyst. I think one thing I'll say is that this, with a lot of other aggro decks, what it does suffer to is a deck that has faded from popularity, which is the mid-range Steel, Steel Amber deck. That was the premier. That was the best deck. All your content creators were saying, best deck, this is the best deck, whatever. Um... That deck is good against aggro. That deck is good against emerald decks, etc. Because it <clears throat> it has that AoE board removal, inherently plays the board, etc. So if that deck falls out of the format, it gives room for more aggro, which gives less room for Ruby Amethyst. Um, do you all agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, I just remembered. I, I, I'm pretty sure we did a deck deck that said Ember <laughs> <laughs> Steel best deck. <laughs> That was a fun one. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's on that's on that's on That's on me. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, I may have I, yeah, I put in the title as well. <laughs> yeah, just the one one last thing as well before we move on to the uh, the the spoiler cards for set two. Uh, I know Brendan, you have a note down here for what do you think the control color combination is gonna be for set two so far. I know it's very hard to say because we haven't seen too many cards. Do you think it's still gonna be? Ruby Amethyst, do you think it might shift into... I feel like it's always going to be Amethyst something, right? Because of the draw engine. But do you think it might shift to... Like, do you ever think we're going to see like a Amethyst Sapphire ramp type of thing instead? Or it's probably too early to say, right? I think it's really interesting. Uh, one thing I'll say before I pass over to Moy, uh, is that the more resist there is in the game, I think the better Dragonfire is. Especially with these big resist characters, things like mm-hmm. Cinderella. Um, that being said... I do think that the draw engine is really important. The draw engine becomes less important, I think, if everybody's on steel or something like that. If everybody has beasts in their deck, which are, you know, they're inked all the time, but also blow up your stuff, maybe Amethyst is not as good. But I do... The, the, the biggest thing that stands out to me is the more resist characters there are on these higher curves, the more important Dragonfire is. Uh, the more important spot removal is for things like Bell, right? Bell being shifted on turn is really bad for you, but Bell just in general, like you got to spot removal that. You don't want to attack it. Um, so that's just my sort of two cents. Moyen. Um, So, um, I, I agree on Dragonfire getting better. Also, be prepared and Elsa getting better mm. against resist characters. Um, To be fair, I don't know the new card, so it's kind of hard to comment on this, but... I, what I what I what I can say about this is that I think on on this current set it's not close in terms of a control archetype. No other color combination could come close to what we currently have. And what we currently have is a very very strong um, base line to have for a control deck, where we have um, a lot of draw engine from the purple side, where we have Ursula and Elsa being able to turn the tides around, but can become the aggressor. 
where they are able to stop your opponent and then you can sing be prepared on it and be prepared dragonfire maui is very strong removal for control to have as well so i think there would need to be a lot of reason to play a different color combination if control is what you're looking to play but at the same time um there, there could be something that's like close to control where you play blue and the color but it's technically kind of mid-rangey so for me, I think the biggest thing that would take us off Ruby Amethyst specifically is if the aggro decks or the aggro cards get like 5% better, 10% better, because it's already really close. It already feels like you're barely getting out of some of those matchups. And I think that if they accelerate the speed of aggro decks by, you know, a little bit and they don't give Ruby Amethyst answers to those early low to the ground aggro decks, you might have to look to another card to sort of answer some of those things um, because it's tight right now. It's really tight. It's really balanced, but it's really tight. And it's already pretty tough. Um, all, right. all right. You guys ready to head on to the spoilers here? Yes, sir. I am ready. All right. So I'll be popping them up via macros. Um, but the first one is Merlin. If you want to read Merlin Rabbit, if you want to read that out for us, Kawa. Yep. So Merlin Rabbit is a four cost uninkable with an Amethyst uh, 2 3 body quests for one. The ability is when you play this character and when he leaves play, you may draw a card. So when the character gets banished, when it bounces back to your hand, imagine this bounces back to your hand and you draw a card as well. So uh, super, super interesting. What are your first uh, thoughts, Moyen? My first thought is, you forgot the most important part, the hoppity hip. The hoppity <laughs> hip, yes. <laughs> the name of the ability. The name of the ability, yeah. Um, so I think, I, I, as, as I said, I haven't seen a lot of the new cards. Um, the bouncing thing comes a little bit meme This mm. card is good support for it. Um, I think, more importantly, I think it's important to recognize that even if this is not good in some type of bounce synergy, this card is just very strong baseline mm -hmm. because it technically always draws, draws you two cards while yep. developing a little mm -hmm. bit of board for for four. For that's, that's very, very strong. Yeah, I can't, I, I don't know if this card is bust or not. So, like, the bouncing stuff, like, that stuff is adorable, right? And I, we don't know if it's going to be their support yet. There looks like there's a signpost with the other Merlin card. Um, but that gets me excited because I love taking more game actions than my opponent on my turn. Uh, but this card coming in at four uh, and drawing two cards, right? So, drawing, replacing itself immediately, very powerful. Um, then going to the graveyard. And, and drawing you another card, but also being able to sing friends on the other side. I don't know, this card seems pretty busted. It's another uninkable. <laughs> also, I want to add that this card being uninkable isn't that bad because it's very easy to get to four ink and mm -hmm. it has, in, no matter what deck you play this in, it has a very decent chance of getting you to another inkable. You can just play this uh, and then often enough it draws an inkable and you just ink that. And also, when it leaves play, it also gives you another card. So this can draw you, this could draw you two inkables when it leaves, uh, like in total. Yeah. So I understand Zeus is playing a different role, but I think if you're considering playing Zeus, like this card, because the reason why Zeus is okay is because it clears Kuskas and stuff. Um, you clears Kuska for an additional, like, it, I don't know. It, it clears Kuskas. That, that's the really the use case, like, it also quests for two, but, like, this card is fills the same slot, also an inkable, but draws you all these cards. Like, this, I don't know. This this seems really, really good to me. Um, it's a little bit slow at four, I guess, because it really does delay that front to the other side, but um, I think this would be a... 
Man, it's so hard for me to say. I guess it's... I don't know if this is a staple or not. It does feel like a slot in. It's so good. <laughs> I think it's very strong. It doesn't even need to be in control. It can also be some mid-range that just plays this on curve. I think this card's strong. Okay. All right. Next up is Last Stand. This is an amber card. Um, it is an action. It costs two. Uninkable. And it says, Banished Chosen Character Who Was Challenged This Turn. Kawa, this is, gonna, this is you. What do you think? What is your evaluation? Okay. So you just throw a little dude into something big and sure. Um I don't know. I hate this Brandon. I hate when you just put, on, you just, when you just put this on me. Aaron, this is the same way. This was zero to hero again last time. And I'm just like so, bro. We started out the podcast about talking about two for oneing. So what what is this? So yeah. what do you think uh thumbs up or thumbs down? I don't know, man. I shot in the dark. I, yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't think it's too good, but yeah, I, I, I don't think I would slot it into anything at the moment, particularly. But maybe, right? It's weird. It's like, okay, I need, I need to think about just like amber steel versus, say, ruby amethyst, and like there's like a big card that comes down, right? You can, you say, okay, that's that's some sort of removal for your big cards, but then it's like. You know, if you got you got your captain hooks on the board, you're waiting to kind of do something. Maybe this card comes in handy, but it's probably just gonna feel like a dead card, in my opinion, for a little bit. But you guys, just 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 tell me, just educate me, educate me. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting to be told I'm wrong. So come on. <laughs> I just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just. <laughs> I'm sorry. I hate the bull. I hate the bully. I just like to let you cook on these ones for a little bit. <laughs> All right, Moy. What are your thoughts? Like the card's awful. It's, if Aladdin, little Aladdin is bad, but this card's even worse. It's like, please two for one, me opponent, please. So basically, it's unink. It's un okay. Let's let's list the positives. Okay, let's let's list the negatives. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's uninkable. It's not a song, so you can't even find this with Ariel. And it is very conditional. So basically, if it if a card's uninkable, it better be playable most of the time. But this card's only good. I mean, it's not really not even that good. But its own its best situation is when your opponent has a an expensive character on the board. It that expensive character is exerted. You have a cheap character on a, on the board that's able to attack, and it is your and it has to be your best play to not quest with your little character, but to trade into it and then last stand remove it. Yeah, that's a lot of conditions. Right? That's, <laughs> that's a lot, lot of conditions. conditions. I don't bro. really see the it, upside in for it. In best case, you two for one yourself. Yeah. It's up, but it's still two for one. Yeah, so if if my opponent plays this in a tournament, I call the admin and tell them my opponent doesn't understand the game. <laughs> <laughs> so I will give... I will... <laughs> uh, yeah, next card I'm giving you, Colin, I'm giving you a good one. So you can't just okay, go I got you, I got you. Um... One thing I'll say is that in a hyper niche meta where there is one card that comes down exerted already that automatically wins the game and it's just like it's just the card and like that's all you have to play around and maybe maybe this is the tool but this card is bad. This card is like obscenely bad. This is one of the worst cards. I think this is the worst card. In Why is this it uninkable? Oh no, I don't know, but I found I found its purpose. The purpose is it's good against resist characters because you don't even need to damage them. You can just challenge them. They take no damage. You challenge them with arena and then they're just gone. 
He's broken the meta before the meta's even been going. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna build a deck with this and like all the cards that just two for one me. There's two for one myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny to see a card like this printed in the context of like because Lokan is super balanced, right? I mean, this this is a toolbox card. The value of this card is very, very, very low. Um, but it is toolbox, which is it's fine. It's it's funny card mm -hmm. though. All right, Fang Crossbow. You wanna read this one out, Kala? Yeah, it's a three-cost inkable for Sapphire. It's an item. Uh, careful aim. Uh, exert for two. Chosen character gets minus two attack this turn. And then you can banish this item. Uh, and then if you banish the item, you can then banish a chosen dragon character. So, I mean, if we're looking at the meta right now, the only dragon character that actually comes to my mind is the big Maleficent. So, okay, that's like the huge payoff if that happens. It's right, but again, that's such a niche condition that that card exactly comes down you have the fine crossbow um so this is basically just maximus's effect on an item i believe but you have to pay two to to tap for it yeah um i think the card's okay honestly i don't i don't think it's that bad uh because i mean especially since we've seen maximus have some actual like pretty good use within the deck that we talked about last time which believe it or not it was actually um amber sapphire i yeah. believe so I don't think this is uh, the worst card at all. I'll be interested to see what type of deck it slots into. Maybe it would slot into that exact yeah. deck that we saw, right? I think I think I think you do. But um, yeah, seems seems solid, honestly. And it's inkable as well, right? So if you don't want to do it, just throw it into the inkwell. Well, and I don't know if I told you the story, but basically I was playing against Amber Amber Sapphire, and mm -hmm. I was playing around Rapunzel. I was ahead in card advantage, and I played a Maui. Was clearing stuff. Yeah, you know, Maui clears everything on the board. My opponent plays Maximus. Minus two of my Maui trades in, draws three cards. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> that was so bad at the time. They only had two in their deck. So uh, two Maximus. So it wasn't something I probably should have been playing around, but it was just funny to see that my Maui even became a liability. Um, I think this card, you, if I was playing against Ruby Amethyst, I think I might play. I'm, I mean, if there's a lot of Ruby Amethyst, I might play this card in Amber Sapphire, like a one of or something. I just don't mm. think you can play a lot of, uh items because even though they're inks they're, they're dead cards um off the top sometimes um i think paying an entire card plus two resources for minus two is very bad value i just think that this is exceeding my tenant of evaluate a card based off its value in a vacuum but adding a lot of context which is i think this card really helps out rapunzel to be honest because i think a lot of people play around rapunzel i think a lot of decks play around that card at this point Moya. so I think this card doesn't hurt anyone, at least it's inkable, but I, I'm just, I, at the moment I'm struggling to see its potential. It, it's an item that you can get some continued value out of until may, then maybe you get to shoot a dragon. More easy But well. to, to me, so the problem for me is, is so it's yeah, just because it's ink, that's, that's, not in, that's not enough. There's a lot of inkable cards in the game. Um, so my problem with this is basically that I have to spend three ink on playing it, Plus, I have to spend two every time I want to use a little bit of a niche effect. So I don't, I don't really see the potential. Um, yeah, and there's yeah. a bit, of, so there, there's a bit so, of anti synergy with Rapunzel as well because yeah. if you're trying to get Rapunzel, well, you just wouldn't tap it. But yeah, if something had like one or two attack, it does nothing. It's only for like, yeah, it's super niche. Mm. I think you're right. So, mm. so you could you could compare it to let's say, I'm just conceptually not not just card for card, but let's say there's. Pocket Watch and there's Shield of Ember, right? Shield of Ember is very easy to fit into a turn, but then using the effect actually costs a lot. Or Pocket Watch is kind of expensive to get into play, 
but the, the getting the effect off is kind of cheap for one. But I think it, this this card's expensive to get into play, expensive to use, and I'm not that thrilled off by the effect, mm -hmm. so I don't really see the card. Yeah, I see it. Um, honestly, it's it's its biggest use case is probably in the item deck, the Maurice like Tonto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it has a use case, I think it's like a heavy item deck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Next up, we got Beast. This is an Emerald card, Storyborn Hero Prince. Uh, it's a six cost that can be inked four or five, and says, uh, and it can quest for two. It says, whenever an opposing character is damaged, you may ready this character. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if these TCG players are correct, sorry. Um, but basically, Merlin, the rabbit we all think is super good, was uh, $13, and this one is $90. Oh, yeah, no, these these cards aren't out yet, so it's like they're just valuing, like, uh, but are people you know, oh, this them? is how Like, are they buying them pre-order? Because that that's what if because you can do that. Well, that's the only reason. I think I think that's the only reason there would be a price there. So if that's the case, yes, it's really, it's really weird, right? Yeah. Boy, what are your thoughts? Um, I mean doesn't sound that bad it's, I, at least i see some potential in this it's like if there's no good spot removal and you're playing this you know like somewhat aggressive deck it sticks the turn then you can take for each trade you take you get two quest yeah it also pairs really well with a card it's... below it if we're oh, we'll, we'll, we'll probably get to that card but uh mm -hmm. it's funny i was talking to raven about this card and obviously actually like the most cards that we've seen so far are uh emerald and, and steel cards and he was telling me, like, I want to get off the Emerald Steel Train. I want to try different stuff. But he's like, they keep pulling me back in with cards like Beast and Bucky and Robin Hood and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think this card's actually not too bad. Uh, if you want to do maybe an Emerald Steel type of thing, right? Because, like, Steel has some of the damage cards. Like, let's just even say, like, Fire the Cannons and the Robin Hood that we're going to see. Tinkerbell, stuff like that. I don't, I'm, I'm actually nearly positive it doesn't work in terms of, like, say, if you Tinkerbell. Like, you can't, like, it deals the one damage. No. If and you then, have very high APM, yeah, then you go pop, 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 pop. Spin and the card goes woo. <laughs> Opposing but, character uh, yeah. means it's challenging that character, right? Or what is that? Uh, opposing... No, it's just any. No, no, just no, just, uh, no, just when it's a a, 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 so a character is on your opponent's side of the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you play gray, you could every grab your sword is like two quest. Every of That's... the little like a smash is two yeah. quest. This card, is good. this card is good. Yeah, so this card has I, definitely I, potential. I evaluated it on the. I was when I was looking. I was like, oh, you can trade with multiple things in a turn because you. Oh no, it's better with yeah, oh, yeah, yeah but, these cards. Well, that that's what I thought. I was like, oh, you can trade with something and then you can un undo it, trade again, and you're like controlling board. But I didn't really yep. think about like, oh, you can trade with something, then quest, which is pretty mm -hmm. good. That you can't really do that. You can shield the virtue is like a version of that. Um, but yeah, this with like uh, this with. I mean, grab your, not grab your swords, but fire the cannons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what yeah, I'm that's... talking about. I'm talking about the, if they accelerate these aggro decks, like a couple percent, like Ruby Amethyst is not going to be very powerful. <laughs> yeah, but Ruby Amethyst doesn't struggle against right now. Ruby like... Amethyst has Dragonfire. Yeah, Dragonfire. So Ruby, like, this is a little too expensive. They need to be more low to the ground to make Ruby Amethyst struggle. But I think this card's very good. Uh, I see the potential in requesting when other cards uh, trade. I think this card's good at value trading because you can choose the trade and it just readies again. Where you can you can choose to keep it ready after having taken a value trade, or you can choose to quest more. I think it's at its best when you quest a lot. And I think um, most cards that say "Oh, you ready something," say from set one, mm -hmm. we're saying ready this, but it can't quest this turn. And this yeah, is an exception was, to that. That was very much in the I think, especially in the uh, Ruby 
cooler. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like imagine if you just play like you can play Beast, and then if you have other cards to trade and stuff, you can instantly get readied, right? So you can just instantly quest for two, which I think is super powerful. Also, if he's uh, already on the board, like we said, like you can single grab your sword, and then he's just instantly readied again. So I think this card is super powerful. But it's like you said, Moin, like if there's enough spot removal, it's not that good. Oh, yeah. But in other matchups, it can be pretty good. <clears throat> This card's good. <laughs> this card is going to be <laughs> frustrating. I think this card is going to be good. All right. Uh, next up is Improvise, another Emerald card. Cost one. It's an action. Uh, it says Chosen Character gets plus one attack this turn. Draw a card. Yeah, some draw engine for, for Emeralds. So the only other draw within Emeralds was Mad Hatter, I believe. So pretty nice. Pretty nice. I mean, if this is just a one cost draw, it's, it's interesting because it's like if it's a card that you just use to filter if you really want to draw cards go for like i don't know like if there's ever like combo types of stuff but mm -hmm. how do you feel about it's a card that is 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 just draw like this is this is, you're not playing this for the plus one right you're playing this for the draw card well uh i think you're playing this to yeah to cycle i mean the, so combo this yeah, is, yeah so if yeah, you're yeah. playing a hyper synergetic like combo deck this would mm -hmm. be you probably this is a kind of throwaway card mm -hmm. to find your i wouldn't call it an engine though in terms of the draw because it's just it's just uh in magic they call these cantrips basically just comes on re redraws itself mm -hmm. um like giving something plus one attack for one yeah that's that's definitely the part of the text i don't care about it's the mm. beginning part <laughs> uh yeah what do you think is an inkable card boy what you say what do you think about this in the context of it being an inkable card is it still just um, too low impact or i think combo decks at I don't really see combo decks existing in Lakana anytime soon, unless there's a lot of cards changing that. So in the context of combo decks not really existing, it looks like a cantrip that costs you one ink without accomplishing too much for that ink. So it's like a low tempo cantrip thins your deck a little bit. I, I'm not impressed by that. Mm. Yeah. Because I think the one attack is mostly inconsequential, and even if it does change something, I think that's a little niche to use up a slot mm. in my deck, even if it is a cantrip. Mm. Yeah, I agree. All right, you want to read out Mouse Armor for us? Come yeah, on. next one we have is Mouse Armor within Steel. It's an item, two cost, uninkable. Reads Protection. Uh, exert chosen character gains resist plus one until the start of your next turn. And of course, resist is damage dealt to them is reduced by one. So this is basically just a, you, you tap it and start giving stuff resist. I think it's... I think it's good. Well, if if we're talking about resist in, in the context of resist, I think it's quite interesting, right? Because the more resist people, it, it's good if you're using your cards to trade into stuff, I guess. But then you know, for spot removal, they don't really care about it. Interesting if if like, I'd like to see this within Emerald Steel, for example. You've got cards such as even just like your Flynn Rider and your Cheshire Cat. Flynn Rider, for example, say you give this resist, doesn't die to. Grab your sword. If you give Cheshire Cat resist, it doesn't die to a smash. So stuff like that can be quite useful. So yeah. <clears throat> Moin, you want to take this one or you want me to take it? Well, I have some things to say for sure. Mm -hmm. So basically, I think this is this example of a good item mm -hmm. because basically it's not that expensive to get into play. Plus, it can provide you something every turn without needing any more resources after you've put it down. Um. And that that something is can be quite consequential, I would say, with this plus mm -hmm. one, even until the start of your next turn. So you can take a trade, but even if you even if you do that on a character that's questing, it at least protects it. Yep. Um. So I think this is really good. Also, I want to point out 
I think turn two is the weakest turn um, stat-wise in, in Lorcana. Basically, two, two drops are n a lot more expensive in comparison to one drops um, if you compare that to how much more expensive they are than one drops. Mm -hmm. So that's not... not your turn two plays, I think, in general are pretty weak in Lorcana, which is also a good point for including um, a two-cost item that can provide value for the later turns. Mm. Which actually, just small note when we were looking at Ember Steel earlier, where it was like going back to the whole new world build, I think Lantern is also a card to explore in that matchup, uh, in, that, in that deck. But okay, that's just side note. Yeah, I think that, that deck definitely, the Ember the Wheel definitely plays Lantern. Yeah, it's a super good card for them. So I'm going to go against the grain here. I think mouse armor is pretty bad. <laughs> um, so I think I think that the, it has the fundamentals of a good item, right? It's cheap. Mm -hmm. um, I wish it was inkable, uh, but it comes down and gives you turn by turn value. I just don't think resist is that powerful. Um, it could be with like a very pesky threat that people usually remove with like uh, you know like a Chester Cat always get always get mm -hmm. smashed. But overall, I just don't think you're it will give you too much value in it being an uninkable item that sort of comes down and does close to nothing i think a lot of times this will be doing close to nothing which is and i don't think you can run cards like this in your deck even if this is good like you let's say you're playing again you're playing in the mirror or you're playing a mid-range deck you're playing in the mirror be a good card or you're playing a mid-range deck you're playing a aggro maybe it's a fine card there but you can't have a two cost uninkable do nothing card against control because that card is really really bad in your deck now like it's a huge opportunity cost because you can't ink it in those other matchups i just think it's a this card is bit narrow for me i could be wrong on it because resist seems like a powerful keyword um but yeah I, I don't like this card then 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 i need to talk more about the card because um so basically i don't think this card's insane or anything i think this if you draw this card late there will be quite the downside to this but i think if this card comes down on turn two it can literally change the entire pacing of the game especially maybe not against control but even against control in long games it can mm -hmm. provide its value but I think in, against any aggressive or mid-range deck, this completely changes how um, the fight for the board will go. Because this basically means it's not just, oh, this, oh okay, I have resist maybe here have, and get a, like a little bit of a better board state. This means that the character of... Um, because, I'm, okay, I'm re kind of reading this out, but I think it, it's important to realize how good this card can be. It's like every turn... The character of your choosing has resist plus one. And there's, okay, there's the beast to remove the item maybe. But other than that, that means every turn, if your opponent wants, wants a good trade into your character, that character probably has plus, uh, mm. plus one resist. And that's a trade. They have to trade down, right? Because like in order to get one more attack, usually you have to be up a resource on the card, right? So like if, if you're just, by increasing the defense, pseudo increase, better than increasing the defense, giving it resist one, mm. your opponent's four drop can't trade your four drop, which is probably going to be pretty, pretty annoying if you're on the play and all of your opponents matching four drops or five drops can yeah. trade your... Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and it's not just defense it's also maybe you can take a trade on your turn um where opponents survive where your character survives where it wouldn't have otherwise so i think this card's pretty good in although of course if you draw it later on the wrong matchup it won't be won't be as good mm. how many do you think you could run d uh, does resist stack does anybody it, know that <laughs> I, think I, it does I, not. I would assume so. Really? I think, I think so you it could be like yeah. resist four. If you had like two, of, if you had four of these, you get. If you have like a resist two character on the board and this says chosen character gains resist plus one, yeah. I, would, one, yeah. I don't think yeah. it overrides it. Mm -hmm. um, 
so I could see myself playing three for sure, mm. maybe four in the white matter. Interesting. All right. Next up, we got Robin Hood. This is Lorcana's first pinger. Uh, capable fighter, dreamboard hero. It is in steel to one three, cost two, uninkable. Uh, quest for one says skirmish, tap, deal one damage to chosen character. Um, seems pretty nice against all those pesky one one cost uninkables that quest for two. Maybe it's a little, I think it's a little slow because your first pinging is on turn three, but mm-hmm. that's the use case I see for it. Overall, I, I think it's not, I think it's a pretty bad card though, to be honest. Maybe now because you're tapping it as well, so. Yeah, I, I don't think it's great. We have a sim. Actually, it's not like Hans' first pinger because uh, no, we have Hans. Hans, yeah. yeah. Hans quests yeah. and then pings. Yeah, I'm not a fan of this card. Which is just better, right? Like, yeah. If this, was, if, if this was quest and do this, this would probably be like mm. better, but still still kind of slow. Yeah. Hey, can you can you exert this on the turn you play it? No. 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 So you, you, you only get to deal the one damage basically on turn three. Hmm. Yeah, or... yeah, then I'm not impressed at all. Yeah, I think it would have some potential if you, if you could shoot on the turn you play it, but... Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't see it. Do you think it'd be better if it was just, like, when you played it, deal one damage to chosen character, and then I you probably can't would. It? Uh, yeah, it probably would be. Yeah. But it's it's comparable. I think it, I, I think in, in that situation it would be, because, like, you mentioned Brennan against the, the Lilos and the Maleficents, it's actually quite good, right? So... Gets yeah, by the Timber Bodyguard and stuff, yeah. If you need to exert this to shoot one, you won't get, like, a lot of continued value out of yeah, it because 1-3 is yeah. very easy yeah. to clear. <clears throat> Would you play a 1-drop one 1-1 one, one that pings something when it entered the battlefield? Would you play if it was... One, inc- yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. A uh, 1 cost 1-1 one, one that shoots one and quests for one and ink yeah. for it. Yeah. Um... Probably, but yeah. yes, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's probably good enough. It's it's mm. very flexible, right? Might that might one damage might also come in handy later. It's just it's a very bad proactive play. Guess you can shoot down a two 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 or two one, mm. but like on, on the play, it's a very bad mm. card. Yeah, so it's not a. I, I don't think it's an insane card, but yeah, definitely right. playable. That hypothetical. <laughs> Back to cards that actually exist. Do you want to read out Bucky for us, Monikala? Uh, yeah, I think. Did you just go past Cinderella as well? Uh, yeah, we talked about it right? last week. That's why I skipped it. It's basically. Oh, okay. yeah, it's like a. It's the Cinderella. The two. Oh, it's, shifts, it's, it's the. It's the, the. The same as uh, Simba, right? Yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, okay, so we got Bucky. Uh, two cost inkable within Emerald. Uh, one one Storeborn ally with Ward. Brendan's least favorite keyword. <laughs> Uh, yep. With the ability Squeak, whenever you play a Floodborne character, each opponent chooses and discards a card. Yeah, this card was specifically made to just annoy Brandon, I think, <laughs> with his Ruby Amethyst deck. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, uh, yeah. there's a few cards to do that. It's a, it's a, it's a two-cost 1-1, one, one, though. How, have we seen any other two-cost 1-1s one, in the game? I'm sure we have, but I can't none come to mind at the moment. Mm, now you're know. putting us on the spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, There are definitely cards I don't include in my deck. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, never. Uh, this card is context, right? I think that mm-hmm. the value of this card, this card, you can actually only evaluate this card in context, um, yeah. because its value is completely derived from playing Floodborne characters. And mm-hmm. let's let's just let's talk about the floor. Let's say Floodborne is reasonably easy to play. If you play one Floodborne character, is this card worth it? If you play one Floodborne, okay. If you, if you, if you, if you activate play... it once, basically. 
That's pretty good already. If yeah. you activate it once. I think so. Okay. So it's basically well, I mean, it's the same as what's the card called? Sudden Chill, the song to cost Inkable, uh, that you can sing it and it, each character or each player chooses and discards a card, right? Except it's attached to a body, it has war, it has a few different things. It's repeatable. But then you can, you can yeah, uh, but, yeah, and you yeah, and you can sing it for you sing the thing for free though, so yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I, think, that card I think this is... counts. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say that other card. I think is bad because you just you're one for on your opponent. Where with you have forgotten me, you inherently two for one them. Yeah, yeah. So it's like yeah, yeah. all you're saying is I discard, discard, you discard. Yeah. yeah. I, mm. I think I think Bucky has the potential to be extremely obnoxious. Yeah. Meta warpingly obnoxious. It has ward with this effect. Mm-hmm. So every I can just play this on the board. There's if you're not if you're not playing steel, there's literally nothing. Okay, or oh, you be prepared this, but there's seven, basically nothing. Be, yeah, be prepared a bookie. Oh, yeah, the, I mean, you only, be prepared because you've already discarded your entire hand by turn seven. <laughs> yeah, what are the only things that clear this? It's like be prepared, Tinkerbell, grab your sword. Is there anything else? You have to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the the new Robin Hood that clear. No, it doesn't. No, it just can't. Oh yeah, never mind. So it's like. Almost nothing clears it. You just play this. As long as you don't quest, it, it will stick. And then every flood bond says your opponent discards one. I, I mean, the, of course, this is contextual, but if there's any somewhat playable, um, somewhat Global cheap crazy. flood bonds, yeah. you just play four buckies and then you play this on the board, and every every of your flood bond characters just like inherently two for ones. Dude, this the fucking set is called Rise of the Floodborne. There will there will be <laughs> this card is. I mean, yeah, this card is really annoying. Like, what do you like? This card is an engine that has ward. That I mean, what you you can't be turn seven and get get rid of this card. That's ridiculous. Right? So why why does it not at least like exert when it makes them discard <laughs> or something or not have ward? You can already see it really didn't need angry. to have ward. <laughs> yeah, this, this, is the card. this card is this card is really obnoxious to be honest wait so are these cards confirmed or could they be like oh, wrong no, data oh, no no these, these are confirmed no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i'm upset brendan this has to be a clip for like the ruby amethyst player's worst nightmare bucky i mean kuzco is already my worst nightmare now i just have yeah. no hand and then there's a two cost kuzco it's not kuzco but hey you know yeah it's better oh, what mm. okay. all right let's let's move on next card we have is uh Panic from uh, the duo of Panic and Pain. Three cost uninkable with an emerald. Uh, two, three with the ability I can handle it. When you play this character, chosen character gets plus two this turn. If the chosen character is named Pain, he gets plus four instead. So that's a nice little bit of uh, synergy. That's the same as like um, Floatsum Jetsum, right? That type of thing. Uh, okay, let's say you don't have Pain. Is this card good, Brennan? Well, yeah, you have to evaluate it on that, I think. Um, yeah. A three cost... Two three that quests for two. That's unequal. No. No. Yeah. 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 I agree. <laughs> but it also gives plus two attack. Don't forget. Ah oh, yes, mm. and plus two attack. But we're, I don't know. I just don't think you're unless you're in the aggro mirrors. Like your opponent's characters are not going to be exerted, and then this thing just gets traded. Right. Yeah. I mean, you can buff your two drop, right? Like, is that good? Yeah, but your opponent's thing has to be exerted as well. That, that's the yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like if you're so, playing a green deck, often your opponent's characters are not exerted. Okay, so it's a, it's an it's a different um, faction, but I want you to compare. Is this card better? Even let's say all your cards are called pain, so it always gives plus four attack. But still, <laughs> okay. is is this card 
better or is three cost Mickey Mouse better? The three three incurable that quests for two. That doesn't have an effect. That card is better. Yeah, that yeah. card is better. Yeah. <laughs> I don't sure. think that's a good side for Panic. <laughs> Oh, All right, next up is Minnie Mouse Wide-Eyed Diver. This is in Ruby. It's a 2-3, 4 cost, can be inked. Floodboard, Floodboard by the way, hero. Uh, mm-hmm. Quest for 1 has Shift 2. You may pay 2 to play this on top of one of your characters named Minnie Mouse. as evasive, Ruby mm-hmm. evasive. And it says Undersea yep. Adventure. When you play a second action this turn, by the way, songs are actions, I think, all the time? Yeah, they are. Okay. Yeah, they are they this are, character gets yep. plus 2 lore this turn. If you sing a song, it counts, right? Yep. That is quite good. So, do you know, I, I, as soon as I saw this card, right, obviously I thought of Ruby Amethyst Evasive type of thing, that, you know, your, your guys' main deck. And then I thought, okay, what if we swap over to the Ruby Amber? Because you can play the two-cost mini for the shift. But is the shift impactful on this card, do you think? Like, yeah, I, th- I think you would still play this card just as is. I'm not shifting. No? Control decks think, don't want to shift. Yeah. It's it's mm. like, uh, shifting is, probably should have talked about it in Fundamentals, but shifting has an inherent flaw, so you have to be doing something like obscenely powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moin? basically, if, if you shift this, when does it come down? Okay, I mean, I guess the earliest is turn two, but then, so for the shifting part of this card to be good, it would need to be impactful for this card to come down on turn two. But if this card's down on turn two, it means, oh, you can quest for one a couple turns earlier. Yeah. But I don't think the two quest um, by playing two actions a turn is very accomplishable that early with that few ink. So I think the shifting part kind of literally doesn't matter. Yeah, I also don't think it could come down on two. Well, at the moment, at least, we don't think, I don't think we've seen a one cost. Don't we have a one three or is that a Mickey? It's a one three. Yeah, we have one. Oh, there, there is, there is a one three. Okay, my bad. It might cost two though. I don't know. There is the two. There's the two three princess mini there's a, with an amber. Mm-hmm. There's a red mini. Oh. There's a ruby mini. Okay. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this card is. This is this is a card everybody talks to me about when I go to a in person event because mm. I've been championing evasive. Like, what do you think of this card? Mm. I just. I don't love it because it doesn't fit in the current era of Ruby Amethyst and you need context mm-hmm. for actions, right? So, I mean, a card that's really good with this or could be good with this, maybe. Improvise, like if your whole deck was Minnie Mouses and Improvises, like that could be pretty nice, you know? You're just like cycling, you know, playing these things and getting questing. But then you have an evasive character that quests for three. That is your absolute ceiling. Your absolute mm-hmm. ceiling. Why not? I mean, dude, just like forget all the deck building constraints, forget all the hoops. Like, why don't we just play Ponga? In yeah. <laughs> like, I was yeah. waiting for that. <laughs> what, what? <laughs> Why we just live on? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing, dude. Is he just like the hoop jumping is. It's funny because I have this conversation a lot with Flesh and Blood and like why why some heroes yep. don't impact the metas. Because like there's. You can jump their hoops for power. You can do that. But there are cards in the game that have power that don't jump their hoops. So just play those. Mm. Uh, it doesn't seem yep. great to me. It's just fine. Yeah, also. Um... Whenever you play a second action in a turn, does that mean your fourth action is also plus two? I don't know. That that's really what I, I was wondering that because then that would be very comboy. But yeah, it, because it I think clear. that's how it goes. Because otherwise, I think it should say whenever you play like your second card or your. No, I, the I think second. you're right. I you think you're right. So? Like, yeah. I think if you do four, I think if you do four. Oh, whenever you play a, so a, it, it doesn't say your, your second. second. It says yeah, a, a, a second. section. Yeah. So, so at least the ceiling is higher, but 
you have to jump through even more hoops to get to that yeah. ceiling. So I'm, I still don't think the card's good, but at least it has a higher ceiling than It's three. a combo card, right, then? <clears throat> this this is yeah. a combo yeah. card. It doesn't fit into Ruby maybe, Amethyst Invasives. Maybe you get multiple... Like, let's say you get two mini-mouse on the board, and then you sing, like, four or six songs in a, in a turn. Yeah. But yeah, a few, few, few improvises to draw into more songs or whatever. Like, you, you could, but it's it's so niche, right? It's so niche. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it, it is niche. That is a good word for it. Mm. It's um, it's a combo deck. I think mm -hmm. uh, this, this is just not a Ruby Amethyst Evasives card, but that gets me excited because that's a lot like Kano in Flesh and Blood. Uh, all right, Hypnotize. Emerald card, action. Um, it's a three cost, can be inked. So each opponent chooses and discards a card, draw a card. Um, what do you think, Moy? Wait, what? Yes. Hey? Yes. <laughs> I know. But there's also some numbers wrong on this card. I know. I'm I'm an emerald main next next set. <laughs> this is so th three ink inkable, and it's kind of comparable to you have forgotten me in like card value wise. Yeah. It's yep. it, it also means you your opponent discards one, you draw one. So it's, it's not, I would say you have forgotten me if it was three ink. This would be the better card because it's very disruptive for your opponent to have to discard two instead of one. Um, I think that can hurt their hand a lot more. And that would outweigh the benefit of you drawing a card. But this this still two four ones, four three, and it's inkable and it's disruptive. This this cuts this cuts crazy. Very good. Yeah, very good. <clears throat> so one thing I'll say about this card, and this doesn't bode well for us Ruby Amethyst players. This card is bad this card is probably bad tempo. Like you play this on turn three against a mm -hmm. deck that's also playing to boards, also questing aggressively. Uh, maybe not great. It's still fine. Like it's still super playable, yeah. super inkable. Um but I mean in Bucky is not that. Like Bucky is like a super small opportunity cost that you eat to play Bucky and tempo loss, but Bucky is just like broken. So I think Bucky's still way better than Hypnotize. But this card, I think this card will be this card will probably be staple. Like this card is super annoying and it's inkable. Mm. I'm not I, I I don't know if I can see myself not playing so Bucky at least needs some build around for Floodborne characters. Mm. I think every green deck I play, I kinda wanna play for Hypnotize. Yeah. No questions asked. And mm. also I wanna point out um Sometimes you can play around your Forgot Me by using either your entire hand or every card but one, which is a little bit more doable. But even if you have just one card in hand, Hypnotize still hits you just the same. Uh, they switched, so, remember more and they switched that. It was a yeah, they, yeah, yeah, no, I know, but still you can play around it by going to one because oh, at yeah, least you can only discard one. Yeah. But. Funny, yeah. funny story though. Moin and I were re recording the deck deck oh, wait. with this. Yeah, did did they fix? They fixed the bug. So uh, we, no, I, I explained the the how it works on Pixelborn and was like, I go to one card here because on Pixel, I don't know if it's intended, but on Pixelborn, you uh, the you this card two is isn't playable. Yeah, yeah. And then I pass my turn. Opponent instantly goes, uh, <laughs> "You have forgotten me, and I have to discard." Oh my god. Alright, you want to read out the last one for us, Colin? Yeah, yeah. we have a uh, Mulan Soldier in Training. This is a Ruby card, 4 cost, uninkable, 4 3, Storyborn, Hero, Princess. And it just has Rush and it can quest for 1. So, would you play this in Ruby Amethyst? No. No. Because it's uninkable. The worst, Gaston, the worst. Gaston is inkable. Gaston <laughs> is a 4 through inkable. And so, the only reason you play these cards. So. <clears throat> reason you play cards like this is to answer specific threats. I mean, Rafiki kind of gets rid of like all these annoying Lilos and clear Simba. Like those mm. are kind of context cards, but this card just comes down a turn later and mostly does the same thing. It does clear. It does clear the, uh, the Kuzco. So maybe it's 
Um, but is this card better than Zeus is my question. No, I don't think so. I think Zeus Most is better of the time it's worse. So I yeah. think the only time where I would put this in my deck is if I was playing a red deck that needs a, an extra Russia but Maui and that doesn't play purple because purple is Rafiki and Zeus. So mm -hmm. it would have to be a red non-purple deck that really wants that extra Russia. So rare occasion, but maybe the occasion comes up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in the right meta. Awesome. Well, that's all of the spoilers for this week. I definitely agree with Moin. Honestly, the last color that I want to play in Lorcana is Emerald, but it's looking like we're going to be Emerald <laughs> players. Um, I'm sure those mirrors will be fun. Just everybody discarding cards and top decking. I already love top decking Lorcana. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, some of these cards are crazy. That's the thing. This set, this set definitely, they are, I don't know if they're creeping necessarily, but they are expanding the boundaries of what you can do in this game like there is a lot of discarding there's i mean the merlin card is drawing off you know more than just going and double drawing off a single card um and the the bucky engine is just disgusting like I, what <laughs> and then there's also the engine with the beast at six cost like so these cards are wild like honestly right now it's very predictable what your opponent will do on their turn in terms of quest right it's literally on the board the amount that is mm -hmm. on the board is the amount they can quest for that is no longer the case with rise of the floodborne Yep, I agree. I will say I was playing a Ruby Emerald, uh, playing against Ruby Emeralds, Ruby Amethyst. My opponent was at zero cards. They had a Cusco on board. They were at 17 lore. I played an Ursula, put them down to 16, had lethal. They top deck either fates and won the game. Oh. <laughs> so maybe it's not always the case. <laughs> oh, that was fun. Anyway, Moyen, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, always a pleasure, pleasure to have you on the podcast. So I want to give you a chance to shout out where people can find you, what you're up to these days, etc. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, so currently I'm exploring lots of different card games. I haven't been getting around to streaming as much, but uh, it could, I could, all, there's always the potential that I have a face where I stream a lot again, and then let's see how it goes. So it's uh, Moyen underscore HS on Twitch. And sometimes I do YouTube videos, it's Moyen's CG on, on YouTube. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Well, appreciate you coming on again, Moyen. For those listening, there's a video version of this on YouTube if you're on pod platforms. If you're on YouTube, check us out on pod platforms. Um, PodCan has actually broken the paradigm of like every other pod that I've seen where our, our back-end numbers are like really low compared to our YouTube numbers. YouTube numbers are really good. So check that out. <clears throat> Leave us a review if you can. Really, really, it helps so much. It's really important at the early stages of a podcast. So you would be doing us a solid if you did and we would appreciate it very very much leave us a review on apple Podcasts or spotify so 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 important if you're on youtube hit that subscribe while you're there more deck text more gameplay coming podcast every week you gotta check it out all right twitter's brendan apg Kawatech under underscore cg moyen underscore hs and until next time we'll see y'all next week